We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 218. We are officially one day away from Yankees baseball. Starting on Thursday, we are up in Toronto, taking on the Blue Jays for the games that actually count. Let's do it. I am ready and pumped up, and I know everybody else is too. Today is going to be our second of two episodes of the AL East previews. Uh, You heard, if you didn't listen to the last show, go check it out. We spoke with... Arden Zwelling from Toronto, who covers the Blue Jays for Sportsnet. And on Sunday night, we actually spoke with Chad Jennings from the Boston Herald. Again, you know him from the Loja Journal. He used to cover the Yankees, does a phenomenal job. And he's now doing that phenomenal job with the Red Sox. So we got some really good stuff on the Red Sox and, you know, what we can really expect from them. Their their kind of new look offense with J.D. Martinez and uh, the pitching staff that we all know has a lot of potential, but got to stay healthy. And in today's episode, we're going to speak with Britt Giroli from MLB.com. She covers the Orioles. I was able to speak with her about these guys and what we can expect from this team. They have a lot of free agents heading into next year, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. And then Andrew spoke with Neil Salons, who's the pre- and post-game radio guy for the Tampa Bay Rays. And unfortunately, of course, as we all know, what happens with, <laughs> with this show the, the news comes out after we record. It, it happens every single time. But we all know my boy, who I've had uh, an unhealthy obsession with, Mr. Rob Refsnyder, who 
you know, was the Yankees' top prospect for a little while, which is crazy when you look back and see what we are right now. He just got signed or traded, I guess, like for cash considerations from the Indians to the Rays. So we got Mr. Refsteiner back in the AL East. And honestly, I think it's actually a, probably the best spot for him. He actually has some uh, some opportunity there. So hopefully he has a good career. And like I said on Twitter, you know, maybe we might lose one game now to the Rays. You know, Refsteiner, Refsteiner counts. Refsteiner matters. But today's episode is going to be good stuff. Um, first, we're going to talk with Neil Salons. You got Andrew talking with him. And then you'll hear my conversation with Britt. So they're going to go back to back. If you have not called the voicemail line for this Thursday, give it a call, 646-480-0342. We've gotten a lot of stuff on Bird. Let's keep it positive. Let's try to get some who's excited. Like We all know Bird, the whole thing sucks. But at the same time, we have baseball, fresh new baseball that counts, and it's around the corner. So if you're pumped up, give a call to the voicemail box. Again, 646-480-0342. And uh, let's get some good vibes going into the season so without further ado, here is Andrew's conversation with Mr. Neil Salons. Started with nothing really. I was dreaming, sleeping really. Had a different theory, then I started thinking clearly. Can y'all even hear me? But nobody's on call. Can't turn around now. I know we're not far. And I can smell it. Deep down they're jealous. Joining the podcast now is Neil Salons. He is the Rays radio pre and post game. Neil, how are you? Good. Thanks very much for having me on. It was a busy offseason for the Rays, but not in the way I'm sure a lot of Rays fans were hoping. Well, I don't know about hoping. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, personally, as a guy who's covered the team for many years, I think a lot of the things that happened were, you know, somewhat expected. Um, you know, I, I think probably the way they happened because of the slowness of the market and stretches made it happen in a very, very different way. But I think after, you know, four straight sub-500 seasons and the position that the Yankees and Red Sox were in in terms of their young talent, you know, it, it made sense to be able to try and add to the to the core at the minor league level while also trying to keep the team competitive at the big league level. It's, you know, kind of the challenge of where the Rays are. And, you know, to me, nothing nothing was, was shocking. Um, you know, there may have been some mild surprises, but for the most part, you know, I, I think it's it, – probably very similar to the way the Rays have had to do business, you know, even since they got to the World Series in 2008. So you say nothing was surprising, but I, I was actually kind of surprised with the Tor- the Corey Dickerson move. Not at all. Um, it, 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 maybe that he was designated for assignment, yes. But if you would have told me at the beginning of the offseason that Corey Dickerson and, and Jake Odorizzi would be among the guys that the Rays moved, I would have said I probably thought that was the case. And I, and I thought it for a couple of reasons. One, I think the Rays are trying to get back to being a pitching and defense type team. Um, and, you know, if, if you, you know, Corey's, if you watch Corey on a day-by-day basis, while he was probably improved over the year before, um, he still didn't give you what you would call plus defense in left field. And, um, and I think the other issue is that the division uh, very much started to really uh, adjust to him. You know, I think the American League East is probably the most sophisticated division in terms of using analytics and being able to exploit weaknesses and having power arms. And Corey was, um, if you looked at his first and second half numbers, um, he went from a guy who was, what, over 900 OPS in the first half to a guy who had 20 RBIs in the second half and a sub-700 OPS. Um, and I think a lot, and, and about a 5-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. I think a big part of that was that teams saw that he would chase the high fastball, had a tough time laying off it, um, he's swung while while he has great contact skills. 
he also could not lay off a high fastball. And I think teams in the division were able to kind of take advantage of that. Um, and, and I think he was not able to adjust back. I think he'll probably do much better in the NL Central. But I think, you know, in terms of this division, I think it was probably, you know, it made a whole lot of sense what the Rays were trying to accomplish. And if you look at some of the players they moved, um, they were at the top of the league in strikeouts last year. And they moved three players from among the top eight at swing and missing in the American League at four-seam fastballs. So um, I think that should probably help them, hopefully, in the long term. So, yeah, you, you mentioned Odorizzi. Also, Steven Souza's not on the team. Longoria, who had been the face of the franchise, is no, no longer on the team. Alex Cobb's now in Baltimore, thanks to free agency. So what would you call this? Would you call this, you wouldn't call this a sell or a rebuild? It's more of just a, a, a facelift no, or something? I think, I think what they're trying to do is really what um, the Yankees did in, in essence to put themselves in the right position in a different way. I mean, you know, if you take a look at the young talent the the Yankees brought on, that all of a sudden has all you know kind of melded together with some of the veterans that they brought in. I think the Rays tried to add when they traded, you know, Steven Souza Jr. That wasn't maybe their intent going into the offseason. With the resources they have, they have to be extremely flexible. But they were able to get a guy in Anthony Vonda, who's a power left-handed arm who can start, who pitches up to 95, 97 miles an hour. Who, when you start to add him to guys like Blake Snell. Um, and Jake Faria, some of the young pitchers they have, Yanni Chirinos, Ryan Yarbrough, who are going to make the club, um, and then take a look at some of the other pieces, Nick Solak, who they got from the Yankees, um, and start to add that to guys like Willie Adamas, Christian Arroyo, um, Jake Bowers, who I think are going to be part of this season You know, at some point this year. You start to get a solid core. At the same time, I think they're trying to compete, and you know, people would call it, if you, if you want to call it, um, you know, some people have said, well, it's, it, it's, it's, I think anyone who's called it a fire sale is kind of a misnomer because they went out and added CJ Crone. They added Carlos Gomez. They added Sergio Romo. Um, they added pieces while subtracting. And I think, um, and, and the other thing is that they'll get Matt Duffy now for a healthy season, along with Wilson Ramos for a full year. And I think if you start to look at the sum total of what they lost, what they added, um, I don't think that even though they're going to be different, I think they have the ability to be fairly similar uh, in terms of the way comp- they competed last year. Was there any thought you think among the organization to just keep Longoria as a, a lifetime Ray? Well, I, I think I'm sure I'm sure there was thought to it. You know, this is one of the more difficult situations you have to make. But I think I think the challenge is is you know in the position that you're in. Um, with Evan now, what, he's 32 years of age. If you do that, does it hurt your chances of competing as he gets on? Right. Um, and I think <laughs> that, um, you know, that, that's probably the biggest piece of this as you look at it in hindsight is, is you know, not how well he would do in 2018 or 2019. But then when you get to, let's say, 2021, 20, 22, are you hampering your ability long-term to be able to compete um, with a player who probably is, you know, has already peaked in terms of his success. I mean, if you looked at, let's say, Evan, if Evan were a free agent right now, would he have gotten in this market five years and $85 million? Probably <laughs> I don't think not. so. No, he'd probably be looking Correct. at what Todd, Fra- so, like more, more like what Todd Frazier was looking at. <laughs> sure. Or, or Zach Hozart or something of, you know, probably, you know, who knows it, but, but what I'm saying is if, if the Rays are in essence, 
um, you know, they have to compete with the Red Sox and Yankees for $200 million payrolls. And then they have a player who's probably getting more than, than what the market would bear at that point in time. That probably makes it much more challenging for them to compete long-term with, with a payroll that's going to be, you know, in, in the neighborhood of, at least at this point, you know, I have to think the size. So I think it was an extremely difficult decision, but if you look at it in terms of the big picture, you know, it made sense. They were able to get a piece of Christian Arroyo who can help them long-term. I think they were able to get a really good veteran guy into North Span, who's a Tampa native, who gets to play before family and friends, will help them in the short term. And they also got two arms um, who they also believe uh, can help them um, over the long haul as well. So um, I think it made a whole lot of sense, you know, and um, um, it's certainly very, very difficult um, and very, very challenging to do that. I think if, let's say, the Rays were maybe a year or two away from a new ballpark, I think then there would have been a no-brainer to keep them. Right. But I think based on the fact that if even if it happens tomorrow, you're probably still five seasons away, he wouldn't even have been part of a team that would be in a new ballpark. I think probably from that regard, it, it, you know, it probably, at least to me, you know, as someone who follows on a daily basis, it probably made you know, sense as difficult as it was. It's funny you bring up the new ballpark thing. I was going to ask you about that because there's rumors they're going to get one downtown Tampa. And I think that would help the team out immensely, at least from an, uh, an attendance standpoint, get some younger people in that crowd. I've heard Ybor City is a possible location, which I'm familiar with just from traveling down there a few years in a row. That's a fun area. And I just think that, that it would sort of give them a little bit of a jolt, give the fan base a little bit of a jolt. The, the area that, you know, has been focused on is, is an area in Ebor. And um, if it's able to happen, it would be incredibly, um, I think, good for the long-term viability of the franchise. And, you know, obviously a whole lot of people who are smarter than I are working on this. But, you know, I think the big, the big number that we're, you know, we've been given or that we've heard is that there's probably 50% or, excuse me, there's twice as many people within a 30-minute drive of the ballpark as there are to the current location. So, you know, because of that, um, I think more than anything else, it gives you, you know, you, you talk about any business, location, location, location. Well, you know, within Tampa Bay, this is much more centrally located and probably has similar parking to what Tropicana Field currently has. So, you know, the hope is, is that, you know, over the course of this year that things move forward and they progress. And if they do, um, that's great. At the same time, the franchise has done a great job at maximizing what they can out of Tropicana field. I think they put another seven or so million dollars into renovations and upgrades during the off season, because, you know, there's going to be your home probably for at least another five seasons, including this one. So, you know, you want to make sure you're creating the best fan experience possible. Um, so they've done a lot of things to, to upgrade the amenities and the concessions and have a new concessionaire this year. So, you know, I think from that regard, you know, there's, I think they're going to really help provide a, a really good atmosphere for fans this season too. So speaking of the fan base, how have all of the changes to the team been received from a fan perspective? What are you, what's your perception of that? <laughs> you know, it's it, obviously I'm only judging based on social media because <laughs> that's not um, the best we haven't had any <laughs> correct. And that's, you know, because you're, you're, I'm not, I'm not answering post game shows, um, you know, which, which, you know, we hold during the regular season. So, I, you know, I think it's, I think talking to people when you have lengthy conversations and start to explain things and put them in perspective, I think most people understand as difficult as it is. And I think 
look, for every fan, there's probably one player that was moved that it was very difficult for them to deal with it, whether it was Longo, whether it was Steven Sousa Jr., um, whether it was Corey Dickerson, whether it was Jake Odorizzi. I think all of those guys are, are hard people. You know, Alex Cobb, even though you expected it, all hard to replace. Um, but I think all in all, um, you know, I think over time, you know, I think hopefully they'll embrace the newer, younger players that are going to be coming on board. Um, and hopefully this team gets off to a good start because if they do, I think they're going to eventually come around to um, the guys they have here and also the guys they think they're going to see later this season. You know, Jake, I mentioned Willie Adamas, Jake Bowers. You know, the Yankees have a very good farm system, as you know. Um, the Rays in 14 were probably in the mid-20s in their farm system. And depending on who you talk to, they're now rated fourth or fifth. So um, they've become a top five farm system. And I think really for their long-term success, obviously they can't do what the Yankees can in terms of free agency or even making a trade to take on a, a contract of, of Giancarlo Stanton's magnitude. So they have to really do a good job with their farm system. And I think they're really getting there and really have made a, a tremendous amount of progress. Well, it's just my opinion that I think a lot of things have to go right for the Rays for them to to compete this year. Um, and if they're not, do you see them moving Archer come the trade deadline? I, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. Um, you know, I, I think how how if, if he's reasonably priced for the marketplace, that to me, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, unless someone is going to give up, you know, half their farm system. Um, that the team that might get desperate at the deadline. That happens every year, it seems. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think what if if you look at recent history, what gets valued the most at the deadline. Look at Andrew Miller and, and Araldis Chapman when the Yankees moved both. Is that relief pitchers are usually valued most at the trading deadline, and I think the reason that's the case is because you're trying to those those are teams that are already going to make the playoffs, but a relief pitcher can usually impact four, maybe five games in a seven game series. A starting pitcher may only be able to impact two. Um, so I think because of that, you know, you're looking at, Hey, you want to win 11 games in the postseason or whatever it may be. Seven or eight of them could be impacted by X reliever, maybe two or three or four could be impacted by X starter. So I think, I think what we've seen is that teams pay more of a premium at the deadline for, Relief pitching. Now that can change, um, but you know you haven't you haven't that's that's the way it's been at least yeah. the last couple of years, especially the way teams manage their bullpens in the playoffs. Um, you know where you're seeing three and four inning starts. Um, so uh, I, I would be you know of, of the, to me the the centerpieces of this team are bringing a core that adds to Chris Archer and Kevin Kiermaier. I really see those guys at the center of the you know centerpieces of the organization at least at least right now, um, and, and adding to those pieces um, with the young core that's going to start the year in AAA, but also the young group of players that are going to start the year here too. What makes Archer, though, so attractive if you are a team wants to trade for him is his contract. He's locked up for very reasonable money for, for his talent. It kind of reminds Four me years, of, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of why the Yankees felt comp- confident giving up three pretty high prospects for Sonny Gray last year. So. Um, it's just no, no doubt. But, but it, if, if, you know, if you look at, I mean, even, you know, no knock on Sonny, but you know, he hasn't had 
three 200 plus inning seasons in a row and three 200 plus strikeout seasons in a row. No, Archer um, Archer is better, which is another which what I'm getting at is you might find a team that is willing to give up a very good haul of prospects for him. Well, you know, in this day and age, most teams don't want to part with their best. Um, you know, you look at um, you know, because they they don't you know if you look at the Yankee system right now what between Torres and Florial and Andujar and I mean there are a lot of top level guys who could be standout everyday players um, you know beyond the fact that you've got Adams and Sheffield etc within the pitching staff uh, you know that that and and several other kids who probably throw near triple digits at the lower levels of the minor leagues I mean it's a loaded loaded system right now um, and they put they put themselves in great position. Um, but I think also, you know, when you look at the race system, um, they've also put themselves in a position where they've got this young group. And I think Chris is, is you know, going to help. I think he's had a really positive impact on Blake Snell. You know, if you look at Blake Spring, he's up there throwing 96, 98 miles an hour. And he's been as sharp as I think I've seen him since he got to the big leagues when he was a top prospect. Um, and I think they've got several more arms on the come. And I think... You know, just like kind of James Shields was really helpful in growing some of the young pitchers with the Rays when they when they turned a corner. You know, hopefully Chris can be a guy who can help turn the corner too. Uh, you know, just like Alex Cobb was, just like David Price was. You know, this this organization has been very big on pitchers mentoring their you know mentoring their own and helping take the next step. Which is why I was surprised to see that stuff come out about Archer and Brent Honeywell, who's one of the Rays' top prospects, because Archer seems like one of the nicest guys, probably one of the best teammates. So I was I was really surprised to see that. Was all that stuff overblown, I, or or how was that? I in, think in the it locker was. Room? I, I I was there when when that when it occurred, um, and uh, you know the moment I heard it, I'm like, uh, you know, I was on both sides, and I'm like, I have a feeling it's going to turn into more than it probably is. Um, and, and a lot of what those two guys do, they have a very friendly relationship where they kind of, sometimes I think they were almost throwing inside jokes at one another. Um, and knowing Brent over the last several years, he's also an extremely confident individual. And I think rightfully so, um, because of what he's accomplished at the minor league level. And I think that's kind of what's gotten him to the point that he's at now. Um, and I think that you're going to, you know, these two are, are very, very, um, good. I think they're friends. Um, and I think, yeah, probably, I mean, it made for good headlines in the first week of, of what pitchers and catchers reporting, but I, I saw beyond that. I, I, I honestly think that both these guys are really good competitors that really want to do, you know, that want to win. And, and that's their MO. Final thing I want to talk about is the Rays going with a four man rotation, which, um, I, I guess they're really doing this, huh? Well, that's kind of the misnomer of it. I mean, you know, they're calling it a, you know, I, I guess the outside looking in looks at it as a four-man rotation. It's really a five-man rotation with four set starters and one rotating through. And they're going to do this at least for the first six weeks, in part because the team has eight off days in the first 38 days of the season. So because of that, it really didn't make sense to have a true fifth starter. Um, the other thought process in this, if you look at, you know, let's say, um, you know, the teams, the race face in their division, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and look at Stanton, Judge, Beth, J.D. Martinez, Machado, Donaldson, you get the picture. Um, fifth starters in this league have averaged 
uh, uh, last year, I think their ERA combined was a 510. Relievers in this league have, if you take away the closers, I think last year was like a 4.2 ERA. Um, so do you want a fifth starter to every fifth day face those lineups? Or do you want to reconfigure your bullpen and have four guys who on average starters, let's say they pitch 180 innings, four guys who you have started and maybe they were in Durham last year and they're not quite ready to be big league starters, but they can go once through the order and pitch 30 to 40 times at three innings a pop and give you 100 to 120 innings. Um, You know, I think, and then have four regular relievers who pitch, let's say, 65 innings a year, you're going to end up with the same innings just, you know, innings total for the year. You're just distributing a little differently. Um, and I think if you look at a hitter, let's say Aaron Judge, he had 52 homers, and I looked this up. 27 of his 52 homers came in innings four, five, and six in a game, which probably came in a second or third time through against a pitcher who maybe didn't have great stuff. Well, if he doesn't get to face that, pitcher a second or third time through in some situations, does that give you a better chance of having success against a judge, a Stanton, whomever it may be? Um, You'll talk to a lot of hitters. A lot of them hate facing bullpen days. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious how it works. I think there's a lot of, you know, on, on paper, I think it could, you know, I don't know if I'd call it even revolutionary because if you look at like Earl Weaver with the Orioles, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, you saw guys like Mike Flanagan, Scotty McGregor. They all, if you look at their rookie years, they began their careers pitching 100 to 120 innings out of the bullpen, and then the next year they were starting and pitching 200 innings. So that was a way of indoctrinating them. The difference is the Rays are going to have maybe four guys in their bullpen who are going to have a similar role. Um, so, um, well, I'm very, you know, interested. I think it's. it's yeah, I'm just very interested sure. to see how it goes because teams are always looking for the next edge, the next trend, whether it's what Joe mm-hmm. Madden did 10 years ago, shifting a lot on guys. That be- shifting is everyone shifting now. Or how the the Kansas City Royals built their bullpen in the year that they won the World Series. And then mm-hmm. the Yankees the next year had Chapman, Miller, Batances. So you see these sort of trends. Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland. It's like, now will this be a trend that teams might, have going forward it's very interesting i was i was kind of joking when i said are they really going to do this but maybe the 30 i think you said 30 uh 38 days with eight off days that'll be a really good test to see how this is going to work correct i think what what the rays have said is they're going to be really flexible with this that if it's working well and you know i think their goal is not to shuttle guys in and out um but if it's if they feel it's working well they're going to give it a longer look and give it a longer shot. Um, you know, it involves a lot of, you know, um, communication from the pitching coach, Kyle Snyder to the manager, Kevin cash, the bullpen, um, coach, Stan Borowski, um, to the players and, and the staff. And, you know, if it works for six weeks and it maximizes talent, look, the Rangers, I think and the angels have been talking about using a six man rotation. The Mets have said they don't want to use, most of their pitchers third time through the order, the Phillies are going to carry an eight man bullpen. I think every team is trying to find a way right now. How do you maximize your, your talent and give your pitching staff the best chance to allow you to win? And, and I think that the Rays are looking at their talent and saying in this division against these lineups, what gives us the best chance to win? And, and I'm, you know, I'm curious how it plays out too, 
But on paper, I think it probably is a pretty good idea. Uh, how has our old friend Nathan Avaldi looked? Because he was always one of those guys that would go one time through the order and you're saying this guy's going to pitch a perfect game and then the next time through you're scratching your head, why did he just walk the bases loaded? <laughs> I, I think he's been awesome. Um, first of all, his attitude is tremendous. He's a great kid. Um, and I think sitting out a year rehabbing from Tommy John allowed him to watch and understand in a very, very different way, um, you know, and, and learn a lot. And I think he's adding different things to his repertoire. I think he's, he may change the way he pitches a little bit. You know, the Rays have been very good over the years about finding some, um, guys who maybe didn't have success the year before or as much success as was hoped, um, and finding a way to utilize some data and some little, what you might consider minute changes that turn into major ones. And I think they're hoping to unlock the same thing with Nathan. I mean, he's, he's a tremendous worker. I mean, for, I mean, his, his, for a guy who's coming off the second Tommy John surgery to have velocity throughout spring training of 97 to 99 miles an hour, um, you know, to me is amazing. Um, you know, and it's a credit to him to, to the way he's come back. I mean, um, you know, I, I couldn't be more excited for Nathan, um, and I think he, you know, he's going into a free agent year. Um, and I think he's got a, a fair amount that he wants to prove and show that, you know, he has grown. And I think he's going to be a, a guy who's been through New York, been through L.A., been through the wars. And now in Tampa Bay, I think, you know, he's a really good fit for the group that this uh, this race team has. Well, Neil, thank you so much for the time. I enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, guys, I want to welcome on Britt Giroli, who covers the Orioles for MLB.com. You can find her at Britt underscore Giroli. Britt, thanks so much for coming on and taking some time to talk about the Orioles. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I, I think, you know, the Orioles... Are, are coming into this season, it seems like it's a, a pretty pivotal year for you guys. You have a lot of people who are a lot of players and managers and general managers who are, you know, quote, free agents after the season. And uh, it looks like there's a lot of a lot of things that need to happen this year. What's the what's the basic feeling coming out of camp and how the how the team looks? Well, they made a bunch of acquisitions, as I'm sure you know. So I think they feel a little bit better than they did probably heading into camp. But certainly, as you said, a lot of free agents. Uh, kind of a big year for them when you look at uh, this organization and where it's headed. Certainly, it'll be interesting to see ultimately what ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, the storylines, obviously, we hear about it up in New York uh, about Manny Machado being a free agent coming up. Um, that's uh, that's a huge storyline for Yankees fans because it seems like every day you're seeing another story come out that, that Manny Machado was potentially coming to the Yankees in uh, 2019. You have the whole Aaron Judge situation where he got reprimanded by the league talking to Machado, even though I think it was all just fun and joking and in jest. Uh, but what's the what's the feeling about Machado? I mean, is this is this something where if the Orioles are, you know, eight to ten games back at the All-Star break, they're going to be looking to uh, to see if they can move him? Or are they really, really confident and focused on re-signing him? Oh God, I haven't seen anything that says that they they're focused on re-signing him. Right. Um, if you have, then then that's news. Uh, <laughs> well, 
No, um, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious. We pretty much wrote it all winter. They're, that's why they looked into trading him. They're, they're not going to be able to keep him. So I don't think there's a whole lot of, and I know obviously as a Yankees podcast, people are interested, but I don't think there's a whole lot of intrigue. They haven't spoke to him in years. So uh, this will be his final season in Baltimore. And, you know, I think it gets a little overblown, uh, the New York stuff with him. I mean, I was there for an interview where, uh, he said nothing about New York, and then the headline that was written was "Manny wants to be a Yankee." Sure. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a little bit much at this point in time. I think Oriole fans are just gonna kind of focus on this year and see what happens. Yeah, no, that's good. I didn't know if you know if there's different storylines coming out of Baltimore with uh, you know, or even kind of an underlying sentiment from the. Uh, from the ownership where they, they maybe think that they are, there is a possibility for assigning him. And I think the overall um, consensus and everybody's thoughts outside of Baltimore is that, yeah, he's leaving. There's no doubt. Um, and it seems like the move back to shortstop is, is a, is a move that he's wanted to make and, and potentially bolster his, uh, his value as a, as a position player as well. Is there any other, any other uh, talk about him when moving over to shortstop from third base? Is there any, I don't know, hesitancy on the team? I mean, he's a, He's a tremendous fielder. We all know that he was a he made that slide over to third base with seems like with with relative ease. But is there any concern about him going back to short? I mean, he is a shortstop, so I don't think there's a whole lot of concern there. Um, in terms of bolstering his free agency, I mean, he said that's not the case. He came up to shortstop, played three games in Double A at third base, and then all of a sudden was a third baseman. So um, I think. People can kind of take it for what it's worth, and people are always going to be like, well, he's doing this to make himself look better as a free agent. I don't think that's possible. He's already going to be a premier free agent. So really, if you look at it, probably it's more of a risk um, to switch positions than anything else. So um, no, there's no hesitancy. They drafted him as a shortstop. Uh, people forget that. He is a shortstop. He was always playing out of position because they had J.J. Hardy. So, um, you know, he's a great fielder. Why wouldn't you want him? To get more touches, which is what's going to happen at short. So I think one of the the big things that the the Orioles in the past, I mean, you guys have always scored runs. That's one of the one of the big strengths of the Orioles. This year is going to be no different, I assume. You know, you have an extremely strong lineup, and you know, Jonathan uh, Scope had a tremendous year last year. Machado, uh, Adam Jones, who's going to be a free agent, who you would think is uh, is also playing. Uh, you want you know he's going to want to put up some some good numbers for a new contract as well. But I think the focus has really been on improving that pitching staff, and it seems like you guys did add some some depth into that with that late Alex Cobb move. I thought that was a great move for the Orioles. I thought it was something that they desperately needed, and then Andrew Kashner. So, do you guys? Uh, what's the feeling on on the pitching staff uh, as far as the starting rotation? Yeah, like you said, I mean they needed to. Move certainly Andrew Kashner's a big deal, Alex Cobb's a big deal. We signed Chris Tillman, hoping that he can bounce back. So, uh, they feel a lot better than they did at the beginning of spring. Uh, like I said earlier, they that was really their big move. They added three guys to their rotation. I don't think any other team in baseball did that. Uh, you'd have to look it up. Uh, I'm not positive, but uh, I think you'd probably be hard pressed to find a team who went into spring training, added three guys into their rotation. Uh, that weren't there when they started camp. So they they feel much better than they did uh, even a month or two ago. And what's been the talk around Andrew Kashner? Because last year when you saw him with Texas as well, I mean, he's uh, in the beginning of his career, he was a big strikeout guy. And seems like he's getting a lot more fly balls now. Is that a concern playing in Camden Yards and really the AL East? No, well, he's a ground ball guy. Uh, so they really wanted, you know, him and Cobb, guys who, 
who pitched, they're okay with guys who pitch the contact. They just weren't as good of a fit for a guy like Lance Lynn. I mean, uh, you know, you look at him, and then a lot of people think he's a better pitcher than Cobb, but uh, I really didn't want him anywhere near Camden Yards if I was the Orioles because he's a fly ball pitcher in, in a short park, in a park that plays real well for the hitters. So, um, you know, Cashner's coming off a real good year. Uh, they feel like him and Cobb together can kind of add a little veteran presence to the, that rotation because their opening day starter is Dylan Bundy, who last year was his first year in the rotation. So I think having a little bit more veteran experience, having these guys who know how to compete, who have been in the American League before, was really key to them. Zach Britton's going to be starting the season on uh, on the DL. He's going to be starting on the 60 man, if I if I saw that correctly. Uh, potentially uh, getting him back in in May, is June. Is that is that kind of the timeline we're looking at for Zach Britton? Yeah, I think June one. I mean, he's a little in front of the of the timeline right now, but there's a ways to go with that. I'm pretty optimistic about that. And I mean, the the bullpen has been a relative strength for you guys for a while. You have a lot of arms back there. Um, you added some new guys. So how are they going to be filling? That closer role, is it going to be a committee until Britain gets back? No, they're going to go with Brad Brock for the most part. Um, Darren O'Day will get some looks. Michael Givens might get a chance, depending on the night and, and rest and matchups. But I would expect Brad Brock. He's the guy last year who got the lion's share of the closing opportunities with Zach Britton out. So um, he's proven he can do it. He'll probably be that guy again. So when you're looking at the the lineup, is there what's the what's the big concern? So we know you guys score a lot of runs, you hit a lot of home runs. Uh, Trumbo's banged up. Um, Chris Davis is going to be, you know, playing quite a bit at first base. Obviously, this is uh, are, what are are there any holes? Because it seems like, you know, when you're at third base too now with uh, with with Beckham sliding over to third, um, you guys have a very very deep lineup. Is there where are the holes? I mean, where where's the uh, where are the pitchers going to be exploiting this lineup? I feel like it's an incredibly one-dimensional lineup. Uh, they can hit a lot of home runs, but they strike out a lot. Yeah. And every year we hear how they want better on-base percentage, things like that. They don't really go out and address it. So um, that, to me, is probably the biggest hole. You know, good pitching is going to be good hitting every every time. So uh, there's a lot of power, a lot of potential, uh, but there, there's definitely some holes. Uh, there's definitely some ways you can attack this lineup. How does the fan base feel about the Orioles right now? Is there a, kind of a sense of urgency for them to get off to a good start? I mean, all the a lot of the storylines really are, are circled around the Yankees and the Red Sox. The narrative is, is a two-team race. You know, obviously the Orioles have a lot of potential as far as their um, their roster. It's a matter if they can put it together. And w- what's the feeling of the fan base at this point? Is that the narrative? It's a two-team race? I haven't heard that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we hear. Uh, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean... The Orioles are never picked to do well, so I don't think this spring is any different. It's funny, I always get asked the same questions every spring. Well, they're not expected to compete with the Red Sox or the Yankees. and uh, I just think that that's an easy storyline for people. You look at the payrolls and you look at the star power. Uh, but pretty much every other year under Buck Schalter, they've gone to the postseason. They've always been a team that's overachieved, so to speak. So I don't think they're too worried about really what me or you or anyone else in the media you know, paints is the story. I, I just don't think they care. They've kind of really thrived being that underdog and being in that role since Buck took over. So I think fans are excited. I think adding Cobb was big uh, for an organization that doesn't invest in pitching a whole lot. Uh, I think people are excited and they, they're looking forward to kind of playing that role of, of spoiler. 
Was the Cobb move uh, more for the fan base than it was for the actual team, knowing with all these guys coming into free agency? What do you mean? I mean, the it seems like they have to. They're looking to to not just play for one year. They're looking to um, to build this this team up. And if Alex Cobb is one of those guys where they're going to try to build a team on next year, is going to look completely different. And they're paying a guy like Alex Cobb to uh, to pitch on a team that is going to be potentially decimated by free agency. Right. Um, yeah, that's why it was an interesting move, and that's why I think a lot of us were surprised they went over that three year mark because they've been hesitant to offer long deals. Um, they seem like a team poised to offer a one-year deal to a guy like Cobb or Lance right. Lynn or any of these free agent starters. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're making moves just to win over fans, but uh, it, it's a puzzling move on the surface. I don't know if they have other things planned. I think maybe more than the fans, I think probably for the free agents, Adam Joneses and Zach Brittons and those guys, maybe it sends a message that the organization wants to invest beyond this year. Um, but it's certainly a little weird on the surface. Yeah, I thought so too. Can you talk about the farm system? Do you guys have, uh, you know, what's the what's the farm system looking like in the next two to three years? Are there people um, that are ready to make that move and make a, a big impact or a potential big impact? You can never say anything's for sure with prospects. Um, but what's the uh, what's it looking like down on the farm? It's definitely gotten better. Uh, I think over the last few years, they've really been an organization that's tried to build up the minor league system. Uh, but you look at it, and they've got two Rule 5 guys on the team, including Nestor Cortez, right. uh, who was the Yankees' Rule 5 pick. So, I mean, they picked three Rule 5 guys this winter. So how good of a minor league team can you be if you've got three Rule 5 guys? Sure. Um, they do have a little bit more hope for the future. Chan Cisco is one of the guys who's graduated to that big league club. Austin Hayes is another guy, uh, along with Tanner Scott, that are very well thought of. Came up last year, September call-up. So certainly there's a little hope, there's a little more depth, uh, but it still can't compete with some of these farm systems like the Yankees, uh, like the Red Sox, some of these real top teams that not only have the payroll, but I think what the Orioles need to do more is compete when it comes to that minor league system with these clubs. When when you're going into the All-Star break, you're looking at where the team is in comparison compared to where the other teams are for that second wild card spot. I think that's where the, the Orioles are going to be sitting. And it seems like that second wild card spot is going to be pretty wide open. I think it's going to be extremely competitive and, and the Orioles probably have, you know, a good shot at it as well. Granted, they have to play a lot of the AL East teams uh, more. And you're looking at some of these AL Central teams where they have probably an advantage for the teams they have to play. But are, what, where are the Orioles going to have to be outside that second wild card spot to not actually go and start selling off some of their assets and get younger for the future? Well, I think that second wild card spot makes it easier for teams to not kind of sell off. And last year, pretty much everyone thought they were sellers, and then they ended up being buyers. So I think if they're close, they're going to try and go for it just because of where they are. You know, Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter, their contracts are expiring as well. Um, we talked about Manny, Adam Jones, Brad Brockstack, Britain. Those are their free agents. So, um, you know, I think they're going to be real hesitant to just decimate at the deadline unless they're really out of it because – that window is closing with this organization. The time is now. Um, they'd have to be considerably out of that second wild card, I think, for them to kind of fold in the cards. Really? So you don't think that even if they're on the fringe at, at that point where there's maybe four or five teams looking to the future where they could get, you know, a, a pretty good haul for some of these guys that they would start building into the but future? They I mean, yeah, but I think so. A- I think so. When you're, when you're looking at a... When you're looking at other teams and you're looking, I mean, you could see what happened when the Yankees got rid of 
um, Araldus Chapman, he was a free agent coming up. He was a rental, complete rental. You're getting guys overpaying at the end of, or at that time when they need to get over the brink. So yeah, I think there's there's absolutely moves that can be made to to help them in the future. But they couldn't get deals done with a full year of Manny the clinic. So what makes you think that they're gonna just give him away? For, you know what I mean? Like they didn't, they didn't do it last year. They were on the fringe last year and they didn't give it away. So I'm going to have to disagree. I don't think, I don't think they'll do it unless they really have to do it. I think if they're on the fringe, they're going to do the same thing they did last year. They didn't look, they're not going to get a, a organization changer for Manny. They should have traded him a year ago. If that was the case, you know, they didn't like the deals for, for Zach Britton and Brad Brock. They nearly traded Zach Britton to Houston, in which case, you know, they probably don't get Verlander. Maybe we're talking about a different team, but um, yeah, I mean, just based on what I've seen from the organization, I'm going to, I'm going to probably have to disagree with that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to me thinking that though, because you know, you'd think that the, the Oros are looking to the, and I, and I understand last year they didn't make a move, but when we're looking at the end of this year, this is the free agent year. Like this is, there is no other year where you can look to see what you have. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not Machado because Machado would, would take a, you know, a King's ransom. But if you're looking at a guy like Britain, if he proves that he comes back and is healthy, there teams are always looking for a back end guy. And obviously Zach Britton is one of the, the best in baseball. Um, and, and if you compare it to some of the, some of the reliever trades that have happened in the past, specifically even with the Yankees. I mean, I think they could get some uh, pretty good prospects back. Yes, if they want to trade him. What if they want to re-sign Britain or Brock? So, I don't know. I agree with you. I see what you mean. But the they should have sold last year. And they weren't just not sellers. They were buyers last year. They added players right. last year, which is crazy because they finished in last place. So, uh, I agree with you. But just based on what I've seen from this organization – uh, again, they'd have to be real far out of it to sell off these pieces. All you have to all you have to do is do what Brian Cashman did: is just trade Chapman, you know, trade your reliever, and then re-sign them. It's it's isn't that an easy equation? It's a simple thing to do. You get best of both worlds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean they they under Peter Angelos, the owner, they haven't done a whole lot of complete fire sales. Right. I think they've only had one. So that's another thing to keep in mind too. Some teams like the Red Sox, they're totally willing to finish them last and sell off all these pieces. And I mean, if you look at the Orioles' history, they just haven't. Yeah. All right. Well, Brittany, thanks so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. You can find Brittany on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli, and she covers the Orioles for MLB.com. Again, Brittany, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.